Good morning, everyone. Today's teaching text comes from Genesis 3, 6 through 10 on page 5 in the Shed Bible. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, the Lord be with you, everyone. Um, hey, my name is Troy. I'm happy to be one of the co-lead pastors here at Marshall Bible Church. And um, here are a couple of my pet peeves. Did you think that's where I was going to begin, probably? A couple of my pet peeves. First, um, I want to crawl the walls whenever I hear the sound of teeth against a metal fork while somebody is eating. Um, I also have a hard time keeping my wits about me whenever I hear someone crunching through an apple, particularly in a public space, in an enclosed room, like in a meeting, or like watching a movie. This has happened to me in a movie theater, hearing someone crunching an apple, riding with someone in a car. Uh, besides mouth noises, let's see, what else is there? Um, oh, uh, my core temperature skyrockets when people don't use their turn signal. When people signal like immediately before they turn or when they signal while they're turning. Um, as far as I understand it, the intention of a turn signal is to not initiate the turn, it's to let someone else know that you are eventually going to turn. And yes, in case you were wondering, I am an Enneagram One, I'm a firstborn rule follower, yes. Um, all right, before everyone decides to avoid me at all costs so as to not annoy me, one last thing. I have very little patience for questions that aren't actually questions. Do you know the kind of thing I'm talking about? They're in the form of a question. They even have the inflections of questions, but really, you know, they're like the kinds of things that are statements in disguise or their passive ways of saying something rather than directly coming out and saying it. Do you know what I'm talking about? My wife reminded me of one of these yesterday. She says, are you sure you want to do that? It's probably not really a question, right? For me, one of the ones that really gets me is, can I ask you a question? Now, I understand this is culturally accepted as a social form of nicety, 
I don't think there's ill intent attached to these questions when people ask them, but really, not really a question. It's more of a declaration. It's more like saying, hey, I'm here to ask you something. Um, you, you know what else bothers me? That stupid question that Netflix asks as you're plowing through a show over and over and over again, are you still watching? That's not a question. That's an insult. Right? You know what the, the technology is really saying? I can't believe you're still watching, is what it's saying. If it wants to ask a question, if it wants to offer something up, consider this. Um, could I just start another episode for you, free of commentary and judgment and guilt? Um, the author, Alan Mann, he makes this observation in one of his books. To be a Christian is to tell a story that holds meaning for us. And then he continues, and I think he really convicts when he says this companion statement. Our dilemma, however, is that this story is all too often retold in such a way that it has no meaning for others. Now, he, didn't, he goes on for a whole book to unpack a whole host of reasons that contribute to this dilemma, but for our purposes, what I want to suggest is that one of the reasons why the Christian story often lacks meaning for other people is because this story is way too often scrubbed of meaningful questions. The story is often scrubbed of meaningful questions. I'm aware that some of us, some of us have been formed in faith communities where questions just weren't allowed. Because all truth has been plainly revealed and our responsibility is to accept and to believe. Questions, questions are suspicious slippery slopes that lead you to denial. Or maybe we've been taught that questions actually, they discredit the Christian faith. That we are supposed to be ready with answers, not with questions. Some of us have grown up with evidence demanding a verdict. Some of us have grown up with case for Christ pressures. We can't risk looking like there are holes or there are weaknesses in this faith. Still, others of us, we've experienced questions being used as weapons. Certain contrarian spirits, people who question everything, people who declare that nothing can be known for certain, people who challenge every authority, challenge every claim to truth with a question. And then I know that some of us, some of us just aren't interested in the questions. Some of us are really comfortable with the way things are. And, and questions can be risky. Questions are potentially really disruptive. Questions might very well be more trouble than they're worth. And then I know, frankly, 
Some of us are simply overwhelmed with everyday life. And we're facing enough questions already. We're facing enough questions on enough fronts already. We don't need to ask more, especially in and of our faith. This new teaching series that we're starting today is called Faithfully Curious. And one of the operating assumptions of this series is that not all questions need to be avoided. Instead, what might it look like for us to be individually and as a community faithfully curious and recognize that questions don't have to be a threat, that questions don't have to be a pathway out of faith, that questions don't have to be always antagonistic in spirit? Could it be that some questions are really, really helpful? And some questions are really, really helpful to be asked consistently, regularly, over and over again. So over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the questions that are in the Bible. Questions posed to us. Questions that have staying power. And we want to take seriously some of these questions that I think should be, could be considered part of the good work that God is doing, that God has begun in us. Work that I believe is slowly being completed in God's kind timing. You might call these questions evergreen questions. The kinds of questions that have the potential when they are taken seriously and when they are considered prayerfully questions that I believe can bear fruit in us, questions that we can return to regularly with faithful curiosity. And I want to also say that during this series, we have no intention to solve or to answer these questions once for all. Like then we can just put those pesky things aside and never have to deal with them again. Instead, we hope that we can develop the kind of posture that the poet Rainer Maria Rilke recommended and encouraged Be patient. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart. And try to love the questions themselves. Live the questions now. Baked right into the Christian story. Baked right into the Bible itself are questions that we are invited to live and questions we are invited to be faithfully curious about because there is great transformational potential in facing and in addressing these questions. And maybe, maybe no other question, maybe no other question in the entire Bible is more evergreen is more packed with transformational potential than this one that we find in Genesis chapter 3. This is one of those stories 
that seemingly everyone knows. And yet, so few of us feel good about this story. Some people just dismiss it outright. They dismiss it as a myth. They dismiss it as fiction. Some people just try to sidestep it and try to sidestep the painful consequences stemming from this story. I'm going to imagine that few of us, few people, would probably be including verses from the first couple chapters of Genesis as your life verse or your go-to place when you need words of comfort. It's probably not this place in the Bible. As we just heard, the man and the woman are in the garden and they both eat from a tree that they're supposed to stay away from. And they realize immediately, at once they realize something has changed because of this decision. I imagine this is something like a toddler. I have some experience in this right now. Something like a toddler who pulls onto something and it topples over. And there's this look of surprise. This realization, my actions did this. I imagine something like that happens right here. The man and the woman, they react, and then they cover up their newly realized nakedness, and they hear the sound of God walking in the garden. And we get this phrase in the Bible that God is walking in the cool of the day in our text. And now that phrase, in the cool of the day, it's only one word in the Hebrew. And the word in the Hebrew is ruach. It's a word you may be familiar with. It means wind or breath or spirit. So the man and the woman, they hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the spirit. I I find that really fascinating. But nonetheless, I think what, what we can be sure of is what's being stressed here is that God's presence is known. They know that God is there. God is not hiding in this story. And yet, in response to being aware that God is present, that is exactly what the man and the woman do. They hide. They hide from God among the trees of the garden. And this is a really poignant moment. The created is hiding among creation from the creator. The created is hiding among creation from the creator. And before any of us is too quick to jump to judgment, let's acknowledge just how tempting this is for all of us to try and hide from the creator in what has been created. So tempting. In and among really good things to try and hide. In food, in physical activity, in serving other people, on a hiking trail, in 
good art. The list can go on and on and on. Tempting places, created places where we try and hide. And then we come to the question that we're focusing on today, the question that kickstarts this series, maybe the ultimate question. God calls out, where are you? Where are you? Now, initially, this might seem like one of those questions that I talked about earlier, a non-question question, because is it possible that God doesn't know? I mean, God knows everything, right? So God probably knows the answer to the question that God is asking. Is this really a question? Is this at most a rhetorical question that doesn't require any kind of an answer? I want to consider the possibility, the likelihood that the value of this question, where are you? The value is not in supplying an answer for the one who asked the question. The value of this question is for the one who answers it. The value of the question is for the one who answers it. The man and the woman, they need the question and they need the answer. Notice how this question, where are you, it works on at least, I just want to highlight two levels. First, this question is most obviously addressing the location of your body. Where is your physical self? This is an important question, and it reminds us that we can only be in one place at a time. And I know that's obvious, but so many of us live in a fragmented and divided kind of way. And this question, I think this question ushers us back into our particular physical selves and to the one place that we can actually occupy. This question reminds us that we are limited. This question reminds us we can't be everywhere. And then once the location of your body is recognized and named, I think we're likely faced with all these sub-questions. So do you like where you are? Do you wish that you were somewhere else instead of where you are? And I will admit that for a lot of my life, I've really struggled with the location of my body. I've really struggled to feel like I fit and like I belong where I am. I mean, even now at times, even now at times, I wonder if I was born in the wrong century. Like, I wonder, would I be happier? Would I fit better 300 years ago? Anyone else have this, this wondering consideration? Thank you for the three people making me feel a little bit less crazy. I mean, just for one, I wonder if I would fit better in a time when communication was scratched out with some kind of writing utensil, even if it was a quill, onto something like paper rather than typed or 
clicked with thumbs and then thrown up into something called a cloud. Though I, I got to say that I, I really like modern medicine and indoor plumbing. I really like those things. But I've, I struggle to fit and to be okay with where I am physically. Where are you? This, this is a question that pokes around also in another way. Are you present where you are? Are you where you are? Yes, it's, it's vitally important to know the location of your body, but are you actually where your body is? Or are you engaged in some other world, some other conversation, real or imagined, in some other place, real or imagined? Too many of us live a kind of divided life where you're physically located somewhere, but otherwise you're captivated by whatever information tsunami that you're currently swept up in, or you're so utterly exhausted that you're barely resisting falling to sleep, or you're stuck in some kind of scrolling stupor. Where are you? This question has the potential to snap us back, snap us back into whatever physical right here we currently abide. But, but notice the man's response to the question, where are you in Genesis 3? Because his response, it gives us a clue that there's at least one other level to this question. Besides just dealing with the location of your body, it's important to address the orientation of your heart. God asks, where are you? And the man doesn't simply reply, oh, you know, over there in the trees. Instead, the man says, I was afraid. The man says, I was naked, and so I hid. And I think this is really important to realize that the orientation of our hearts might help to explain the location of our bodies. The orientation of our hearts might help to explain the location of our bodies. There's this deeper transformational potential that gets missed if the man simply answers, well, I was hiding. And there's something that we potentially miss if we stop at simply naming the location of our bodies. Because there's a lot for us to learn if we are willing to investigate the orientation of our hearts. Because we too might discover that we are afraid. And we too might discover that we are naked and weak and defenseless, and self-conscious.
maybe there's a deep reason. Maybe there's a deep reason why you find yourselves at Costco or Target or Cabela's or AutoZone or Five Guys or Planet Fitness three, four, five times a week. Maybe there's a deep reason that is compelling you to be in these spaces. Maybe the orientation of your heart can help to explain the location of your body. I hope you're beginning to get a glimpse of these compelling layers of this question and the, the powerful possibilities of being faithfully curious about the question. So I, would, I just want to leave you with two suggestions. I, frankly, there are more questions. I want to leave you with more questions to ask. And I hope that over the next week, that each of us would take some time to ask and to investigate. Ideally, that we would take multiple times this week. Ideally, ideally, we would take multiple times every day, if possible, to further investigate and to ask these questions. First, just answer the question, where am I right now? Where am I right now? Yes, name where your body is. Remind yourself of your physical limitation. Remind yourself of your inability to be in multiple places. But also, pay attention to your mind. Pay attention to your attention. Pay attention to your desires. And where are they? And are they in alignment with, or are they in conflict with, the location of your body? Second, where might the orientation of your heart be leading you? Where might you be headed? For the man and the woman, the orientation of their heart led them into hiding what about you? Are you headed toward companionship? Are you headed toward shared understanding? Or are you headed toward covering up and putting on a front? Are you headed toward forgiveness? Are you headed toward confession? Are you headed toward admission? Or are you headed toward numbing? and just simply trying to forget? Are you headed towards mourning what isn't right in the world? And considering, investigating, what's the small way that I can contribute to making things right? Or are you headed toward justification and excusing in order to protect the status quo or to protect your own comfort and your own security? Please take some time over this next week, multiple times if possible, 
and investigate the orientation of your heart and see if that helps to explain the location of your body. There is good news here. God's question to the man and the woman, God's question to us, where are you? This question reminds us of God's steadfast, faithful love. This question reminds us it's a demonstration of God's powerful resolve to overcome all of the alienation and all of the distance between humans and the divine. Regardless of the location of our bodies, regardless of the orientations of our hearts, regardless of our attempts to hide, regardless of our experiences of shame and fear, God God covers the distance. God covers all of that distance sublimely in the person of Jesus and God enters into our moments through the promised presence of the Holy Spirit reminding us that there is nowhere we can go to flee God's presence. So I hope that we can each hear the question, where are you, as an invitation, yes, to answer honestly, but also to trust more deeply in the goodness of the one who is asking the question. To trust more deeply in the one who will meet us wherever we are. Thanks be to God. And this table is an exclamation point, another demonstration of that God who covers the distance, that God who seeks to meet us where we are. And at this table, instead of saying, where are you, says, come to me, come to me. And so, I say to each one of you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts and let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And we pray with thanksgiving. It's right, God, to give you our thanks and praise. You who are the almighty creator of heaven and earth, so we join you with all heavenly beings and heavenly hosts, the entire company of heaven who are forever surrounding your throne, singing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, 
Holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So would you, Holy Spirit, would you once again make of these simple elements for us spiritual food? Would we be nourished? Would we be encouraged? Would we be strengthened? And would we be brought more and more intimately into your presence? And would would we know, would we know in greater particularity your nearness to us? And amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this this is my body, which is broken for you. So take and eat. Two on the bottom for you. And in a similar way, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is the new covenant, the new promise, the promise renewed in my blood. Reminding us of the God who covers the distance. The God who is resolved to deal with the alienation, the distance between humans and divine. The God who both says, where are you? And also says, come to me. And so we're invited to eat and to drink, and we tell the story every time we eat and drink it, a story that we try our best to summarize and to tell, these simple phrases that summarize the mystery of our faith, and we speak them all together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So there are tables around the room here. There will be people here to serve you, all allergen-free options. You can pray with people around the walls over here. You can write a prayer into the prayer walls, and we're going to sing as well together. But you're invited to come. So receive who you are.